Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I'm Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode 15, Winging It Through Winter. Man, it is so cool, the adaptations that birds have to make it through those freezing cold winter nights and days. Think about it when you're nice and warm and toasty in your house and they're out there struggling to survive. We're going to talk about those adaptations. Yeah, and specifically in our episode, we'll talk about some of those coping tactics like caching and foraging guilds and torpor and some other coping tactics. Uh, But also, we'll share a little bit. There's some research that was done that proves out um, some dramatic numbers about how bird feeding actually also helps the birds to be able to cope in winter. And we do have another kids activity for our episode this time, so stick around for some of that. And as always, we're going to let you know what you can do to help these birds make it through winter. Okay, Brian, I don't know about you, dude, but I am excited. This is one of my favorite things. There's something about critters in general and, and not just birds but all animals that you know their adaptations their the specialties that they have you know developed to live their life and to survive some incredibly se- severe conditions and and birds are just awesome the way they can get through winter and, and survive some of the worst that nature can throw at them so i am thrilled to be talking about what our birds do to wing it through winter oh man you think they're so small and birds, yeah, they can fly around. Why don't they leave? Why don't if if we got all this nasty cold well, weather some coming do. in? <laughs> some, some do. Oh wait, <laughs> some do. Yeah, they all have different <laughs> tactics of how they cope with the weather, and those drops in temperatures or extra snows or extra those cold winter rains coming in. So um, it's to look out, like you said, looking out the window and thinking about those little critters and those little birds and. I really do appreciate having shelter and having a coat. And although I love, I do love spending time outside um, at each of the seasons. Winter is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, There's just something about wintertime for me that being outside and being in that weather, but I certainly do appreciate being able to go back inside and, and you know, one of my favorite things in wintertime when you're outside, there is a certain quiet Mm -hmm. to winter. You know, you just yes. walk outside and there's a certain peaceful quiet to winter that I just really love. And then you get the little chickadees. So mm-hmm. cheerful. I mean, they sound so, you know, it's, wait a minute, it's freezing out here and it's cold. And they're just, they're little cheerful little conversations between each other that they're having. It's just, it's almost magical. I really love, love it. And, and they're kind of one of our birds that we can point to that have really created a great strategy to to make it through winter. And one of the coolest things that we can see right now is their habit of caching food and preparing for winter by making a whole cache or storage of food that's going to be readily available throughout the winter. Oh, yeah. And I love that other birds join them as well. So maybe those chickadees are caching, but now you've got... (laughs) Just it's like friends coming together, and you think, "Why would these different species or aren't they going to hang out and do different things and do their own thing?" But it's really cool how they'll come together. So I think 
maybe we should just jump right in on some of these tactics and talk yeah. about some of these specific things that the birds do and, and how it really works for them to help them individually or as a group to make it through. Well, talking about the caching with the chickadees, again, that is simply where they're coming to your feet. If you watch right now, probably over much of the U.S., and Canada, you can see birds coming regularly. They're just back and forth mm-hmm. and back and forth. And Cornell did a study on this uh, where they put little uh, RFID tags on the leg of a bird, on the different birds after they caught them and banded them. And it would record every time they came to a feeder. And these chickadees were coming to feeders 200 times a day. That's just mind-blowing. Taking food and leaving. It's mind-blowing. 200 and, times a day. Yeah. And they don't need 200... 200- <laughs> Sunflower seeds to survive every single day. No, they're storing the vast majority. They're taking those seeds typically with under 150 feet from the feeder, not very far away. And they're wedging those seeds into the tree bark or underneath a limb. <laughs> or they're hiding it underneath the the, 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 the uh, side of your house, the, you know, like the, the siding oh, of your you house or shingle your shingles of your house. Yeah. yeah. So they're hiding them for future use. And you said, you know, it's buddies. And we do know that these guys work in teams. You'll see mm-hmm. not just one, yes. but you'll see a bunch of them coming in at one time. But they're also a little secretive. The, the chickadees have a lot of strategies to kind of <laughs> sneak away when they actually do go hide that seed because they will pilfer each other's uh, food. So they, they are kind of sneaky at the same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's really fun watching them hide in all those different places. Uh, recently, I've been on my roof rebuilding a chimney. And to be up high <laughs> and watch caching behavior from a completely different perspective this year has been fascinating because watching those chickadees go and hide in different places. And then you have some of these other birds that do the same, like nuthatches and titmice and even some of our woodpeckers and jays and watch them coming into the different foods at the different feeders and going up in different places on the trees. But then... <laughs> I'm up on that roof back and forth and I'll go back up there and I'll see a seed tucked into the mortar that I just set on the chimney. And I'm like, I hope you can get that thing out later. (laughs) But amazing all these different places they put it, but all these different birds that do this same kind of tactic, but it's not everybody. Yeah. And one of the cool things about us always you know, when we talk about this in groups or when we're doing programs, people always say, well, how do they remember where they hid these things? <laughs> right. And the reality is the research has been done. They actually do remember. They can recall exactly where they hid all these seeds one at a time. They don't put, you know, most of them do them individually. A few of them, like uh, Blue Jays, will do a, which cash. Uh, they'll do a, a, a big cache. They'll put hundreds of seeds, in, uh, you know, acorns quite often, or big sunflower seeds in one location. But most of them, like our chickadees, titmice, nut hatches, one seed at a time in one location, thousands of seeds. How do they know? How do they know? And what's really, yeah, so what's really cool <laughs> is their brain. The hippocampus, which is the part of your brain that helps you remember where, like, driving directions, you know, where, you, you know, you, like your visual cues when you're driving so you know where you are. That part of your brain, well, in the birds, like chickadees, it's completely outsized compared to other birds. Most other birds don't have that much space devoted to it. Chickadees have a lot of space. And what's cool, it grows even more in the fall. It's like increasing your data storage in your computer. It packs it full of information as to where all these seeds are hidden. And then in the fall, in the spring, I mean, it all shrinks back down. So <laughs> you're it's clearing insane. your data drive so you're not confused next year with where you hit all the seeds this year. Unbelievable stuff. Man, if I could have had that ability <laughs> back in school, 
Test taking time. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, get the hard drive going. That's right. It'd <laughs> have been wonderful. Yeah, so it's very cool caching. We could we could probably do a whole show on caching. You can tell we're we're, we're really uh, excited in the sense because it's just, just so cool that they can have these abilities and they can do that. And and some of the places they hide the food is so cool. But you know maybe we should maybe we should move on and talk a little bit about foraging guilds. Foraging guilds, uh, neat little name for when a group of birds, different species all come together and they forage together. So it's this guild of different species that are getting together and you think, well, what's the purpose? What what are they going to get out of that? You think in the natural world, okay, so if I do what I do and I eat what I eat, you might do something completely differently. Um, the cool part is when you get these foraging guilds, it could be chickadees and titmice and some woodpeckers and some kinglets or brown creepers, all come together and loosely associate together as they forage, as they move around during fall and into winter looking for food because they all kind of do look for food in a slightly different way. And so it helps them on where and how to find food, but also it helps them with warning calls. So let's talk about two of those different things. You know, so where and how do they find food? Pretty interesting. You got the chickadees love to work on branches, on trees, and look for food. Titmice do the same, but maybe they look in different locations. Some closer to the trunk, some further out. Kinglets love to be further out on a tree branches, uh, away from the trunk. Because <laughs> they can. They're so small. <laughs> They're so <laughs> tiny. But then you get like nuthatches love to go headfirst down a tree. As they, they forage and they look into crevices. But brown creepers, they're built a little differently. They actually like to land on those tree trunks and go up as they forage looking into crevices from a different perspective. But they all learn from each other how and where to find food. And they just watch each other. It's, it's yeah. really fascinating to watch. And a lot of times it's the chickadees that you hear coming in. That's kind of that clue when that foraging guild might be showing up. And you hear the chickadees are usually part of that first wave as they're moving through the woods or coming towards your feeders. And then just sit and wait and start to see the different other birds come in. Yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, the alarm calls, they, they learn each other's alarm calls. And and so if one bird sends up a warning, they all know what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's for the hills, guys. <laughs> Here comes the Cooper's hawk or whatever it might be. So uh, it's another actually widens their circle of protection with this group of all of these birds working together and, and uh, all those sets of eyes looking for danger at the same time while they're looking for food. So Yeah, and very, that's, very, really, that's yeah. really invaluable when in wintertime we have less daylight length. There are a few hours in a day to be able to go find food. Yeah. And so it's, it's a lot easier if you have others helping to keep watch for predators so you can spend a little bit more time looking for food and getting those calories you're going to need. Yeah, and speaking of those calories, man, that's so important to birds in the wintertime and, and uh, the amount of time it takes for them to get enough calories to make it through the night. Uh, you know, Not only do you have shorter time to collect all that food during the daytime, you have to have <laughs> it last a lot longer during those long winter nights. So right. you darn well better top off the tank before uh, before roosting and uh, making sure that you had, I, I think I've shared before, the, you, you know those high-fat foods for a lot of our birds, uh, insect-eating type birds. Uh, at least portion of their diet being insects, uh, high fat foods are really important. So, you know, suets and, and sunflower and Niger and lots of different high fat 
uh, backyard bird foods that we can put out really help these birds. Uh, and, and I've mentioned before, I think the fact that, you know, as a, as a, somebody who is a bird mander who has a, you know, I can catch birds in a, very safely in a net and then collect data. And one of the things I collect is, is that fat. And you can literally see during the course of the day, them building this fat because you can see it through their skin, which is so thin that you can actually see the deposits of fats underneath the, 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 the uh, skin. It's a, it's a very cool thing to see. So that, that collection of fat during the day, during that short length of time, man, they better be on it and they better have really good sources. Yeah, and then they burn that fat overnight to just keep that metabolism going to keep up their body heat. Because, you know, we can get into 12 yeah. hours of darkness. And that means I need to have enough fat and I'm going to be able to make it through the night. So that's one of those coping tactics, be able to yeah. make it that long through the night. Well, and there's lots of lot of the coping tactics in regards to body temperatures. Yeah, when, you know, I think uh, we were talking before we started recording, you know, average temperature of a bird's about 105 degrees. Uh, that's a lot of heat to take. take. You, you, <laughs> you better have good food to take care of that and, and stoke the furnace, so to speak. But they also have some other cool little strategies at night to take a little bit of that demand for that high energy and high fat and reduce it a little bit. There are not a lot of birds, now our woodpeckers, will hide inside of a cavity at night which you know you're hiding inside of a tree trunk and that's good insulation so it's getting you out of the weather and and your body heat can warm that space up a little bit so that's a nice little tactic so chickadees and some nuthatches will also find a nice little winter roost um, actually there's a, a bird called a verdon that um, out west that's not really a feeder bird very often um, occasionally they might come in but verdons actually make a winter nest they don't make a, a cavity in wood. They'll actually, kind of like making a nest for raising a family, they make a nest that's thicker for winter and use that to hide inside of. But it's also interesting, you know, like I said, you know, chickadees will hide in a, in a nice little cavity. Uh, woodpeckers too, but they individually will do that. But the pygmy nuthatch is a little different. Pygmy nuthatches like to do what's called communal roosting where it's, let's get a bunch of us in this cavity, and we're going to be able to conserve body heat that way. So that's a really interesting coping tactic to get in the family and the neighbors together and say, let's all huddle up and, and have a nice little party in here to stay warm. Yeah, and there's another <laughs> almost mind-boggling when you think about it tactic that the, not all birds, but the chickadees and a handful of other birds use. Uh, Again, stoking that furnace to keep a body temperature of 105 degrees demands mm -hmm. a lot of food and energy. So wouldn't it be great if I could lower my body temperature and didn't need to stoke it quite as much? Well, guess what, sports fans? They can do that. They literally go into like a controlled hypothermia where they drop their body temperature, you know, like a chickadee at 105 degrees. It's dropping its body temperature down to like 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's that's crazy. 25 degrees that it's dropping and... and and in the end, it reduces the amount of energy it needs by giving 20, 25% overnight. So it, it helps them stretch the energy and the fat supply and the, and the food reserve uh, and the fat reserve on their body through the, the night uh, a little more uh, efficiently. So very cool stuff. Uh, we could go on. One of the other cool things is to help stretch that fuel. I want to be warm as I can be. Now, you and I would put a coat on. Indeed. 
Or go inside. (laughs) Some of these birds have a little different strategy in the sense they do put. You mentioned winter nest. Mm -hmm. But by the bird. How about my winter coat as a bird? Well, some of these birds actually do do that when they go into their fall molt. Uh, which is when they grow out uh, their new set of feathers for the for the coming year. Uh, their winter feathers sometimes are about 25% uh, thicker, uh, are more numerous, more volume, if you will, than their summer. Uh, so they literally have, in essence, grown out their winter coat to help them keep a little bit warmer. Yeah. So, yeah, like, very cool. You know, it's that concept of where we get the idea for down coats. <laughs> <laughs> If the feathers are working for the birds, and they keep us really warm. So, like, goldfinches and juncos will do that, where they put on those extra feathers. Yeah. And so it's that's a really interesting I, tactic. I've been very fortunate recently. I've gotten involved in, and again, uh, being a bird bander, I've gotten involved in, in uh, research on the northern saw-wet owl, uh, the migratory behaviors of saw-wet owls uh, coming out of the boreal forest and heading down to the southern Appalachians, which is... A phenomenon that probably 25 years ago nobody even knew was happening, and, and we're finding out it's happening in big numbers. And it's been—it strikes me uh, when I catch these birds, their feather mass is so volume is so thick, it is amazing. I—you I, I, would think they'd overheat. It's just they're, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've banded a lot of species of birds over you know 40 years, but I don't know that I've ever banded any bird that has a thicker volume of feathers than those solid owls and it's just an adaptation to be ready for winter that is very cool you know when we think about all these different foods you mentioned some of the foods to put out in the yard one of my favorite bird groups that comes in during the winter time are the ground feeding birds and their tactics just a little bit different um, instead of the high fat foods that they're looking for they're looking for the high carbohydrate foods because these are the sparrows these are the juncos and um, you get song sparrows that live year-round you get chipping sparrows that go from kind of that canada northern um, u.s and they and they, they move south as one of their tactics but they still need you know it's it's still cooler weather for them but another really cool bird is the tree sparrow that then comes out of the the northern Canada area. They they nest in the tundra. Yeah. So kind of a misnomer. The American <laughs> tree sparrow that nests in the tundra <laughs> means no no trees. But um, in winter they come down and hit uh, southern Canada and into the U.S. And man, chipping sparrows and tree sparrows are just eating machines. And they just gobble up so much food. But they love those weed seeds. Um, so it's really neat if you can not deadhead some of the plants in your yard. If you haven't done it yet, don't deadhead those little plants that have seeds on them. Uh, try to save those for some of the sparrows, maybe goldfinches. Because um, they, well, feed on those throughout the winter time. Um, but also having a ground-style feeder and having high-carbohydrate foods like millet. Millet's a great, that white millet, small white seed, they love that seed, and they will eat. It's amazing how much food (laughs) they will gobble up. Um, Just uh, one of those interesting statistics, like tree sparrows will eat 30% of their body weight each day just in summertime. So come winter time, yeah, it's going to be a whole lot more than that. It's a whole lot more wow. than that. Um, or like white crowned sparrows, love when they come in. They look like they have a little football helmet of the white and black on top of their head, um, and 
<laughs> white crown sparrows their <laughs> their bodies um, have about three grams of fat in them and about half of that is used up every night and so they're gobbling up tons of food to be able to keep that furnace stoked as they go so having the having the right kinds of foods out there and it's really fun to watch them come in and listen to them chatter when they're in the yard um, so things things to look forward as as the seasons change and some of your birds change and of course we do we haven't touched on migration and a lot of birds oh, yeah. their tactic is just to get the heck out of dodge you know and then we've we've done some uh, previous podcast information on migration and, and how they do it so uh might want to refer back to those uh, but there's some other little neat um sidebars to that in the sense of some of it is they're not so much migratory but they'll do shifts depending on the severity of the winter like an example uh, goldfinches very rarely stay in an area where it gets below zero degrees fahrenheit for an extended period of time they're going to get the heck out of dodge more than likely and, and head to warmer climbs cardinals uh, same thing uh, they like the average january temperature to be somewhere at least five degrees or more uh, fahrenheit and uh, so, uh, and that's kind of a, 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 almost a reverse thing because as our, that temperature gradient has kind of slowly moved north over the last few decades, uh, that's one of the contributing factors to why cardinals, who were a southern U.S. bird, mm-hmm. has now reached into southern Canada. Uh, they've moved farther north uh, as that temperature gradient of, of uh, five degrees or, or so. Uh, in January has moved north Uh, so some things like that again some tactics for these guys to make it through winter well John I think it's a great time right now to talk kids activity We've been talking different coping tactics and uh, how do the birds handle all this? Well, let's let's do a fun little kids activity and do with the kids or the grandkids. You know, and like the birds are getting ready to go to bed, you know, it's a winter time. They've spent the day out and now they're going into that um, getting ready for that controlled hypothermia or torpor where their body metabolism slows down so they can. Uh, not use so much energy to make it through the night. Wow, this um, could be really good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to here. <laughs> <laughs> See where I might be going with this, huh? Well, just wait a minute here. So, you know, we can't really change our body temperature. That's in, nor should we. That's kind of a scary thing. Our body temperature range is we don't have much range we can mess with here. But just like the birds will slow down their heart rate to drop their body temperature, we can at least mess with our heart rate and get our heart rate up or or make it come down so how about trying this little activity get the blood moving and you know maybe run about or do some jumping jacks and and then sit down and um, try to check your pulse you know count your heart rate whether it's on your wrist or up on your neck and and learn where can you feel that pulse and count your pulse for about a minute you know how many beats how many heartbeats did you have after all that physical activity and now Pretend like you're settling down like a bird getting ready for the night and wait about five minutes and check your pulse again and write that down and then wait another five minutes and check your pulse again and see how far did you get your heart rate up and how far did it come down and think about how the birds are doing that each night as they go to bed. Very cool. Very cool. 
And, you know, actually for kids to do, I don't, a lot of kids, it depends on what age you're talking about. A lot of kids have never checked their own pulse. Yeah. So for them to do that, it's going to be kind of a really cool thing for them to experience too. So save the songbirds. Uh, we typically talk at this point about what you can do in your backyard, mainly about habitat and providing food, water, shelter, and places to raise young in, in regards to uh, also being part of the uh, certification process that uh, Wild Birds Unlimited is a champion for with the National Wildlife Federation. And this is when we would talk about, and Brian's already mentioned, you know, one of the biggest things you can do is not deadhead your plants. Leave all those plants up that have those wonderful little seeds, whether they're your native plants that you've planted or whether they're some weed plants that have crept in under the back fence. And, uh, you know, leave those deadheaded for those birds. They'll really appreciate that extra food supply. I, I'm going to deviate just a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have research that's been done in Wisconsin, uh, specifically on chickadees that showed that when the temperature drops below 10 degrees Fahrenheit, the chickadees in this study that had access to bird feeders as opposed to those that did not had a 50% higher survival rate. Now think about that. Let that sink in for a second. 10 degrees or lower. Feeder access for chickadees increased their survival rate basically by 50%. Uh, so I think it's really important at no other time of the year is it is important than the dead of winter to make sure that you have your feeders out there, that you at least maintain one foundational feeder. And by that, we mean that one feeder that has a fairly good capacity. It's going to have three or four days worth of seed in it. And then it's never going to go empty. It's the one go-to spot for these birds to always know they're going to be able to find a source of food during the wintertime. Uh, and then also maybe switch to thinking about some of those high-fat foods, the suets, the bark butters. Our winter blend uh, that we have that is really, really high in fat. Our uh, super suet that we have, uh, the winter uh, version of our super suet that's out there. Um, so those high fat foods. And then, like Brian was talking about, carbs. Man, if I'm a junko, if I'm a, a song sparrow, if I'm a white-crowned, white-throated sparrow, uh, you know, any of those ground-feeding birds, it is all about carbs. I take those carbs and eat massive amounts and convert that into the fat that I need to survive those long winter nights. So uh, it's really a good time to think about what you're feeding in your backyard. We did a, Our last program was on uh, all about preparing uh, your yard for winter and, and changing up the, the game a little bit for your winter bird feeding. So one might want to refer back. And uh, really help your birds make it through those really, really tough days of winter. All right, Brian, I think we have, and I, you know, it's it's like we have so much we wanted to share on this. And I don't know that we've actually done much more than, in a sense, scratch the surface, if you will. But uh, we'll be back at some other time to help talk about winging it through winter. Definitely, definitely. So many different kinds of coping tactics. And, well, as always, we have so much we would love to impart <laughs> It's fun stuff. So anyway, I hope you guys had as much fun as we did. Uh, I mean, really, as we always say, thank you for joining us. Uh, on behalf of all of us at Wild Birds Unlimited, we really appreciate you listening in on our nature-centered podcast. And join us next time. I think we're talking about sharing maybe some of our favorite stories from our customers from across the country and North and in Canada. Uh, but as always, we're going to let nature be our guide. So take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com slash podcast. 
Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>